Topic 4, Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 4, Second Paper, by Professor James Storum. Professor James Storum was born in the city of Buffalo, New York, March 31, 1847. His mother, Mary Kennedy, was a native of Sussex County, Virginia, where she lived for 12 years, when her father sold his farm and moved to Ohio and located with his wife and eight children near urbana his mother was a woman of strong character deep religious convictions and piety and full of energy and enterprise a counterpart of what is seen in her worthy son his grandfather charles storham of duchess county new york was a soldier in the revolutionary war and did valiant service for the independence of this republic he died in eighteen forty three at the age of one hundred years professor storham began his school life in the public schools of his native city he was admired by his associates for his manly qualities and good fellowship and was held in high esteem by his teachers for his studious habit and exemplary deportment at the age of thirteen he embraced religion and united with the michigan street baptist church where both his parents were useful and active members he frequently heard his parents express their purpose to send him to college and as he grew older and better able to appreciate the value of education the desire grew very strong within him to fit himself for a larger field of usefulness in due time he entered oberlin college and after spending eighteen months in the preparatory department he entered the college proper and graduated with the class of eighteen seventy immediately after his graduation professor storham came to the city of washington to teach in wayland seminary one of the schools fostered by the baptist home mission society he taught at wayland thirteen years here as in every walk of life he exerted a most wholesome influence over the young men and women attending the seminary whose graduates are found in all parts of this country they delight to speak of the inspiration and high incentive they received from professor storm while under his instruction after leaving wayland professor storm taught in the public schools of washington one year whence he was called to the city of petersburg virginia to organize 
the Virginia Normal and Collegiate Institute, provided for by the legislature of the Old Dominion. He remained here three years and endeared himself to the principals of the new school and to the citizens of Petersburg, irrespective of race, political bias, or denominational creeds. He then returned to Washington, and from that time until the present, he has been teaching in the public high school. Professor Storum has ever been interested in and connected with the various enterprises whose aim has been the improvement and elevation of the colored people. For five years, he was secretary of the Capital Savings Bank of Washington and a member of the board of directors of the Industrial Building and Savings Company. For three consecutive years, Professor Storum was president of the Bethel Literary and Historical Society, the most prominent association of its kind in the country. Through his influence and by his energy, the library and reading room were established and are now the most interesting and prominent features of the society. In addition to his many and exacting duties, Professor Storum has written and lectured on a great variety of subjects, religious, political, educational, and financial. He was happily married in 1872 to Mrs. Carrie Garrett Brown, a teacher in the public schools of Washington. There are three surviving children. Their domestic life has had its sunshine and its shadow. The darkest cloud that has overhung their household was the death of their oldest son, who died eight years ago at the age of eighteen, and who had given promise of being an unusually brilliant and useful man. The excuse for presenting this article is the oft-repeated declaration that there should be one kind of education for the more favored class and another kind of education for the less favored class of our citizens. This declaration was never mooted until these latter years. The following incident will serve to illustrate the position taken by the advocates of this subject. A young man of more than ordinary ability, having a fine mind and exceedingly apt and ambitious to learn, came to one of the schools in the South supported by northern friends. He had had some advantages and had proved his capabilities to learn. He was giving great satisfaction to his teachers. He was prepared to take up one of the advanced studies and did so, and wrote to his friend telling him of the studies he was pursuing and the progress he was making. His friend, a would-be philanthropist, replied that he would not assist him if he pursued such studies. 
you only need to learn to read write and cipher a little to teach your people yet this same man thought it necessary to take the common school course a college course and a professional course to teach his people what class of people will have confidence in or give their support to a teacher preacher lawyer or physician who knows only the a b c's of his profession it is an historical as well as a scientific fact that no people have ever risen to influence and power without a strong intellectual and moral class permeating and leavening the entire mass from the very beginning of our educational system the idea that the system and method of education should be different for the different classes of our people never entered the mind or thoughts of our educators nor any part of the body politic in the southern part of our land the ruling class denied educational facilities to the colored people and quite generally throughout the south it was made a penal offense to teach a colored man woman or child to read the reason for this was well understood education produces intelligence and unfolds to one his powers and capabilities and an intelligent people cannot be enslaved after the close of the war of the rebellion schools were opened for the colored people the newly emancipated were not entirely oblivious to some of the advantages and benefits that follow from education for they were constantly in touch with the master class so that when the opportunity was offered the colored people flocked to the schools in numbers far beyond the accommodations given the colored people showed such avidity for learning and made such surprising progress that it seemed almost miraculous dr mayo says no people in human history have made such progress as the colored people of the united states i can see no reason why the colored people should be differently educated from mankind generally nor can i understand why persons should urge a different education unless they are hostile to and bitterly opposed to the progress of the colored people the aim or purpose of education is always has been and will ever be preparation for complete living that is to be useful in one's day and generation and to live happily to secure this requires the acquisition of knowledge found in two fields of human endeavor first man and his experience and achievements and external nature second training to intelligent and productive activity in the use of this knowledge and the proper enjoyment of it 
what the education of the youth of a nation shall be depends upon the aim purpose and character of the government the history of the education of a people is the history of its civilization its civilization is not to be found in its material success nor in its achievements in arms but its civilization is manifest in its intellectual moral and aesthetic development it follows then that the education of a nation is to be found in the characteristics of its civilization this includes religion politics justice art and mode of thought the history of education fully attests this fact the government of egypt was monarchical in form the ruling classes were educated the lower classes were not yet while they were the beasts of burden and forced to toil under the most exacting taskmasters they were of a mild and kind disposition the result of their religious training the government of the jews was theocratic their civilization was distinctively religious their education was along religious lines their poets sing of the love the power the majesty and the everlasting dominion of i am that i am through the jews indeed are all the nations of the earth blessed in that they have preserved and transmitted through the ages the religion of their king and his anointed greece had two distinct ideas of government the dorian as exemplified by the laws of sparta whose fundamental principle was that the individual existed for the state and must obey the behests of the state the ionian as we find it in the constitution of athens whose basic principle was that the state existed for the individual and the individual was a free man the educational system of sparta was entirely military in keeping with the aim and purpose of the state the boys at the tender age of seven years were taken from their homes and placed in state schools to be taught the art of war and how to endure all its hardships and privations the educational system at athens reflected the aim and purpose of the athenian state it was humanistic the intellectual ethical and physical powers of the child were developed in that little peninsula of southern europe there were two distinct civilizations having very little in common and always antagonistic sparta developed human machines men of great physical force but contributed nothing to the civilization of the world nothing for the betterment of mankind liberty patriotism love of home and kindred are the characteristics of the athenian civilization 
the contributions of athens for the civilization of the world and the elevation of mankind are beyond human conception the mind of man cannot conceive of the innumerable blessings that have flowed from athenian civilization the great reservoir of thought and perfected art the profoundest thoughts of philosophy the most electrifying words of statesmen and orators the grand sublime and patriotic strains of the muses the illimitable beauty and symmetry of her art have been bequeathed to the world by athens the eye of greece but above and beyond these is the principle of personal liberty and popular government that has come down to us from the athenian commonwealth the aim and purpose of the athenian republic in its educational system was to train the children to become useful citizens capable of aiding in the management of the state aristotle says education should be regulated by the state for the ends of the state as the end purposed to the state as the whole is one it is clear that the education of all the citizens must be one and the same and the superintendence of it a public affair rather than in private hands the aim and purpose of the roman government was to bequeath to humanity moral energy and jurisprudence the latter of which is the basis of all modern law a strong and an abiding faith subsisted between the roman state and each of her citizens i am a roman citizen was the proudest allusion a man could make to himself for he knew that the great roman power was behind him to protect him in his rights the children of the romans were educated to be of use to the state cicero says the fatherland has produced us and brought us up that we may devote to its use the finest capabilities of our minds talents and understanding therefore we must learn those arts whereby we may be of greatest service to the state for that i hold to be the highest wisdom and virtue the aim and purpose of our government is to maintain and perpetuate the idea of constitutional liberty and to develop a popular government in which each inhabitant shall feel a personal interest in all that pertains to the government and the government in turn shall feel itself obligated to protect and defend the interests of the humblest citizen within its dominion our government is of the people for the people and by the people in this country there must be but one system of education welding all the people in one aim and purpose unity of thought unity of action and sympathy unity in american life and duty is 
and must ever be maintained in the stratification of american society the government must be unique and homogeneous in its aim purpose and sympathy the entire question of american citizenship is especially important in harmonizing the elements herbert spencer says the education of the child must accord both in mode and arrangement with the education of mankind as considered historically or in other words the genesis of knowledge in the individual must follow the same course as the genesis of knowledge in the race it follows that if there be an order in which the human race has mastered its various kinds of knowledge there will arise in every child an aptitude to acquire these kinds of knowledge by the same order as the mind of humanity placed in the midst of phenomena and striving to comprehend them has after endless comparisons speculations experiments and theories reached its present knowledge by a specific route it may rationally be inferred that the relationship between mind and phenomena is such as to prevent this knowledge from being reached by any other route and that as each child's mind stands in this same relationship to phenomena they can be accessible to it only through the same route man is a trinity in his nature consisting of mind soul and body these must be developed and the same means must be employed to bring it about intellectual moral and physical training must characterize our system of education the intellectual and the physical is being emphasized and the moral training must be made more prominent than it has been in the past the aim and purpose of the founders of this republic was to preserve in the substrata of the government those noble and lofty principles of the christian religion for the maintenance of which they left their native land that they might plant these principles in the virgin soil of america manual training is now being made an attractive feature in our schools though by no means a new feature manual training must be made to strengthen the intellectual and moral training or it will fail in its purpose and end as an educational value trade schools are one thing manual training schools another thing it is not the purpose nor the end of manual training schools as a branch of our school system to teach trades per se but rather to aid the pupils to find out their natural bent and to strengthen the trend of their ambition along chosen lines or in other words to help the pupil to discover his powers capabilities and capacity to reveal the pupil to himself dr mayo says 
the higher education according to the last american interpretation is just this the art of placing an educated mind a concentrated heart and a trained will the whole of a refined manhood and womanhood right at the ends of the ten fingers of both hands so that whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do you may do all to the glory of god there were two distinct civilizations attempted in this country one was planted at jamestown virginia the other at plymouth massachusetts they were antagonistic in thought aim and purpose the civilization at plymouth was an example of the survival of the fittest the errors of the one must be engulfed in the ever-abiding principles of the other the educational feature of the one must yield to the educational feature of the other there must be but one system of education for all the people great and small black and white this is essential for the peace comfort and prosperity of the nation this is an anglo-saxon country the thought of this country is anglo-saxon the progress of this country is anglo-saxon the colored people of this country like all others born and reared on our shores are anglo-saxon in thought in religion in education and training and hence it is unsafe and dangerous not to say impracticable to educate them or any other class of our citizens along different lines the people of this nation must be of one purpose one in aim there must be a common bond uniting them in a common sympathy and fraternity to secure this end all the people must be trained to the highest wisdom the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom hence says milton to govern well is to train up a nation in true wisdom and virtue and that which springs from thence magnanimity and likeness to god which is called godliness other things follow as the shadow does the substance end of topic four second paper